So this is uh, Wednesday. It's June 5th. Is that right? June 5th, 2013. And uh, our message today is called No Weapon. No Weapon. I want to encourage you. I could not be any more sure after worship that the host of heaven are with us. Even as Israel was called out of Egypt in divisions and they called upon God, they called him Yahweh Saba. It was a military term. It meant that he is the commanding officer. The living God has formed your lives and he's joined you together for a reason. Uh, the person on your left and right is not irrelevant. They're not expendable. The people that are in this room were called to be here and many more that are not here. But we fight for them as well. The living God has organized your lives in a way to cause you to stand in the day of evil. Isaiah 54, the 17th verse says this. No weapon forged against you will prevail and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. This scripture does not tell us that they will not attack. It does not tell us that we will not be under siege. It does not tell us that we will have no problems. It says that the vindication will come from the Lord. This is our heritage, friends. I want to encourage you. I feel in my spirit and have heard through my phone and every other way of what you're enduring. Very often the message that we preach in this church is how spoiled and pampered Americans are. And that may be true. But as far as Americans go, this little body has been under attack. Jobs have been lost. Relatives have been attacked. There have been even demonic visitations in our midst to which I say, in the name of Jesus, bring it on. The devil may think that he has laid siege to the people of God and that he has cornered us for the slaughter. And I am telling you that the living God has backed him into a corner and will prevail through us. Sennacherib stood outside the walls of Jerusalem in the 36th chapter of Isaiah and he made bold threats. He said, on what do you base your confidence? And is it your military strategy? You need to go talk to Hezekiah and tell him no king's ever been saved out of my hand. He even made them promise to do filthy things with their own bodily fluids. But by the time two chapters go by, Isaiah shows up and he says, what has been planted below, what has taken root below, is about to bear fruit above. And in a single day, the mighty Assyrian army was laid waste by a single angel. Friends, 185,000 men got sent to their grave because they followed the wrong leader. I tell you that Jesus himself said that there were more than 12 legions of angels at his disposal, and that was then... Now everything in heaven and on earth has been submitted to Him and He has commissioned us. Have no fear. Your children are under attack. It's a sign of honor. You have become dangerous to the enemy. Your loved ones are beginning to squirm and squirrel and say ugly things about you. You have become dangerous to the enemy. If you were no threat, he would leave you alone. But because we're in the business of taking his territory, he fires shots and we are still here. If he could kill you, he would, but he can't. 
And it's okay to say it. In the name of Jesus, the devil will not harm me. In the name of Jesus, I will not submit to cancer. I will not submit to the things that he has in store for me because my God is greater. Look at your neighbor and say, my God is greater. If you go back to the 8th and 9th century B.C., starting in about 873, a man named Jehoshaphat comes to power. Jehoshaphat is one of those good kings, one of those righteous kings. He reigned some 35, well, he was 35 when he became king, and he reigned 25 years. He's the fourth in the dynasty of the kings of Judah. So a civil war happens, and he's fourth in line. He's the son of Asa. He's a contemporary of the kings of Israel, men like Ahab. Y'all can say boo. He's a contemporary Azahiah and Jehoram. But this man was different. He had had an experience with God. And while others had bowed the knee to Baal, he would not. To know really about Jehoshaphat, we need to start with his father. I'm going to tell you just a little bit as you turn to 2 Chronicles 14. You can skim along. I will paraphrase before we get into our text. In 2 Chronicles 14, we see about Asa. This is Jehoshaphat's father. Asa did what was good and was right in the eyes of God. How would you like your life to be summed up? His life was summed up as doing good and what was right in the eyes of God. He had good years. During those years, 2 Chronicles 14, 11 says that Asa faced a Cushite army. And when he faced this Cushite armor led by, army led by Zerah, it was vast. It seemed to outnumber him. He had the perfect prayer. He said, Lord, we rely on you. We have no power to come against this vast army. Don't let man prevail against you. And do you know what God did? He delivered Asa. In 2 Chronicles 15, 1 through 2, Asa goes into reforming years. It says, The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, son of Oded. The Spirit of God had come upon him. The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, We should pay attention to prophecy. The man had victory everywhere he went. There were six verses that talked about how God increased Asa and did wonderful things in Asa's life. He depended upon God and God delivered him. Now a prophet has shown up during the years in which he's in his prime. He's going to go tear down all the Asherah poles. He's going to tear down and smash the altars to Baal. And suddenly a prophet shows up and says, God's with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he'll be found by you. If you don't seek him, he will desert you. What a warning. Would that make you stop and think about your life? This is important because the next thing that happens in Asa's life is he is attacked. And when he's attacked in 2 Chronicles 16, a man named Ben-Hadad, who is the king of Aram, gets into a dispute with him. And he doesn't know what to do. So he calls upon, I'm sorry, it's not Ben-Hadad. He calls on Ben-Hadad for help when he's in a dispute with the king of Israel. These people have been enemies of God. And he calls on them for help. To rely on Assyria rather than the Lord's arm. After the Lord had already delivered him. And he gets rebuked. This is the famous scripture. 
in 2 Chronicles 16 that says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth, seeking whose heart is fully committed to Him. The Lord wants to strengthen His people. Asa was excited. Asa was doing great things for God. Asa was going after all of those areas that the kings before him had left. And do you know how he finished his life? 2 Chronicles 16.12 says this, In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. Though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from physicians. The reason I say all of these things is Jehoshaphat was 35 when he became king. Do you know what he saw? He saw his father rise to glory and follow God. He saw his father have armies delivered into his hand. He saw his father initiate religious reforms not unlike the day of David and not to be duplicated again until the time of Hezekiah. An amazing time. And then he saw his father get scared and begin to compromise, to ask for foreign armies' help when he was facing domestic problems. When the prophet called him out on it and said, you've done a foolish thing, he oppressed the prophet. God sent sickness into his life to get him to turn around, but he only hardened his heart and sought physicians. Jehoshaphat grew up in that house. He saw the effects of that on a kingdom. Friends, that will push you towards the Lord or away from the Lord, won't it? It's a funny thing how God will use friends and family and relatives to speak a message into your life. He grew up in a house in a kingdom serving God and saw his father succumb to pressure to rely on the world instead of God. He saw a hero of the faith reduced to a mere common man. Let's pick up in 2 Chronicles 17. Say there when you were there. Do you have an idea who Jehoshaphat's father was? In 2 Chronicles 17, starting in verse 3, we're speaking of Jehoshaphat now. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because in his early years he walked in the ways of his father David had followed. He did not consult the Baals, but sought the God of his father and followed his commands rather than the practices of Israel. The Lord established the kingdom under his control, and all Judah brought gifts to Jehoshaphat so that he had great wealth and honor. His heart was devoted to the ways of the Lord. Furthermore, he removed the high places and the Asherah poles from Judah. Say, so far, so good. What a great start to our reign. How would we have liked some six years ago for a president to step into the Oval Office and rid our land of abortion and rid our land of wickedness and stand up for the holiness of the gospel? Friends, we didn't get it. It didn't happen. And it didn't happen in the presidency before that or the one before that or the one before that. Because we're a Gentile nation. But we do not have to live like Gentiles live. We can look around us and see the fruit of what it is to serve God for a time and then slide away. What better national picture could you see than at this time? They say America is a post-Christian nation. Our own president said we're not a Christian nation just, at least not 
only. We're also a nation of Buddhists and a nation of Muslims and on and on and on. I don't see that in the framework of our Constitution. I don't hear that language. When the first Congresses prayed, they prayed in the name of Jesus. When our first religious institutions were started, they became universities. We're living in an era when you can see the fruit of a life like Asa, and it has to have an effect on us. Some of you have been besieged. Some of you have had difficulties surrounding you this week. I might venture to say all of us had. Just this week, I've talked to fathers who are worried about their sons. Just this week, I've seen children in the ER. Just this week, we've seen unsolvable family situations where people are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Just this week, we've seen people lose jobs. Just this week, we've seen relationships fracture. Well, the devil is busy. But praise God, I'm still here. Amen. Let him know you're here. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. hallelujah. We do not have to give him the glory of living in despair. We do not have to let fear creep up upon us. In the name of Jesus, we can say to the powers of hell, no. And I choose to, and so did Jehoshaphat. Look at the 18th chapter. Verse 1, now Jehoshaphat had great wealth and honor, and he had allied himself with Ahab by marriage. Say, boo. Oh, friends, when you get married, you're marrying the whole family. What do you know about Ahab? What do you know about Ahab? He is the persecutor of Elijah. He's the browbeat husband of Jezebel. He's a devil of devils. Killed people. He's a coward. What on earth is Jehoshaphat doing allying with him? Some years later, he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria. Do you notice that Samaria is north of Jerusalem on a map? Samaria is due north of Jerusalem. But from the biblical perspective, if you leave Jerusalem and head to Samaria, you are going down. It doesn't matter from where you left, you are headed down just to get to Samaria because it is the seat of idolatry. It is the seat of a perverted, synchronistic style of worship. You might say that it was worse than a Las Vegas of the day. And the reason that it was is the people that go to Las Vegas know what they are going there to do. It's advertised on every television commercial. Everyone knows, and that's why they say what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. But people went to Samaria actually believing that they were worshiping God by worshiping goat idols. It was a land of compromise. And the king of Judah has gone down to it. Ahab, king of Israel, asked Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, will you go with me against Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat replied, I am as you are. And my people as your people, we will join you in the war. It's almost as if Jehoshaphat catches himself here. But Jehoshaphat also said to the king of Israel, first seek the counsel of the Lord. Is it a good idea to seek the counsel of the Lord? How bad of an idea is it to speak to a king that you already know is wicked and promise your hand in war before you have sought the counsel of the Lord? Jehoshaphat knows better than this. He has seen the fruit of allying with the wrong people in his own father's life. 
And yet, we get into situations, don't we? You ever given your word to somebody only to find out it's probably not what God wanted you to do and then you were conflicted, but I, I need to keep my word. It's not, not godly to lie. Okay, I'm the only one has been in that situation. Oh, my. You promise that you go rescue somebody and you don't even have their phone number, right? You promise that you will do something and you not only do not have the means to do it, it's not God's will that you do it. But you've made that promise. So now what do you do? This is his situation, friends. So he says, we need to seek God. Well, this is no problem for Samaria. They got no shortage of prophets who will come in and prophesy whatever they want them to. So what happens is Ahab calls on prophets and the prophets all come forward and they say, oh, yeah, man, you're going to win because you are the best. <laughs> this bothers Jehoshaphat. In his righteous soul, sensing he's made a mistake, he looks and says, is there no real prophet that we can inquire of God on? And they call on Micaiah. And Micaiah shows up and in great sarcasm, he looks at Ahab and Ahab looks at him and Ahab says, hey man, you ain't never prophesied anything good to me. He says, fine, go, you'll win. How many times must I tell you, Micaiah, to tell me the truth? Okay, I saw Israel scattered everywhere. Y'all lost and you're going to lose your life. Ahab ordered him struck in the face for that. He didn't really want the truth. He wanted somebody to tell him what to hear. And that's exactly why Jehoshaphat should not be hanging around these people. God himself gave Samaria a delusion because it's a delusion that they wanted, that they clung to, that they cried out for. There was actually a conversation in the heavens, if you read the chapter, and God sent them a delusion, just like the Thessalonian letters say will happen to everyone who does not love the truth. Oh, my goodness. Now, what would you do if you're Jehoshaphat and you hear Micaiah's prophecy? You go, oh, man, it's time to get gone, right? Let's get out of here. Let's get out of Dodge. But apparently, Jehoshaphat felt constricted by his word. For some unknown reason, he goes into the battle that he knows they will lose. That's a bad idea. He goes into a battle he knows God is not blessing. So the king Ahab has this really special idea. Being the selfless fellow that he is, he says, you know what? Why don't you dress in your royal robes, Jehoshaphat? I, however, will go in in a disguise. Now, mind you, I'm not trying to paint a target on your back. It's just that you heard the prophecy. You're not apparently in danger, but I am. So they go into battle. What do you think happens with Jehoshaphat? He is in trouble because of his royal robes. He's in a place he shouldn't be. Everybody is surrounding him in chariots. But he does what a man of God does. He says, dear God, I'm in over my head. I'm where I shouldn't be. I'm in a bad place. Rescue me. And God did. Where Ahab, dressed up in some kind of armor, catches an arrow at random between the sections of the armor, and it pierces his armor and kills him. Friends, God's will is going to be done. You cannot trick him. You cannot fight against him. You can try, but you will not win. My issue is not with Ahab. My issue is in the warning of Jehoshaphat. Does Jehoshaphat know better than this? Yes. Look at the 19th chapter. 
When Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, returned safely to his palace in Jerusalem. Somebody say amen. amen. I made it out of that by the skin on my teeth and got back home. Amen. You know the difference between the righteous and the wicked? It's not that we live perfect lives. It's that even when we're in error because our hearts are right, God rescues us. God is not against us. You may feel besieged because of an error you made. Maybe you got it wrong. Maybe you spoke up when you should have shut up or shut up when you should have spoke up. You mustn't think God is against you. He still rescues His people when they're in trouble. He is against the wicked man who does not want His will and fights to get His own way. They both messed up and went into a battle they shouldn't go into. One is killed by a random arrow and the other cannot be killed by all of the efforts of the enemy because the Lord saves the righteous, even when they're not so righteous. If that weren't true, then the devil would have already had his way with all of us because you misstepped on some day just like I have misstepped most days. We come out of it with a bruise, but we keep our lives. And it teaches us like discipline. Stay close to the Lord. When Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, returns safely to his palace in Jerusalem, Jehu, the seer, you got to watch out for those seers, my friend. Jehu, the seer, the son of Hanani, went out to meet him and said to the king, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Oh, my. Let us think about this. What are some of the reasons that Jehoshaphat may have been tempted to help Ahab? Well, they were both monarchs in the land that was once united as Israel. They're only four generations removed from the time when they were all one big happy family. What caused the split? Idolatry in the north. Jeroboam, son of Nebat, compromised in all of the ways that you can compromise. And the kings of Judah said, no, we're going to follow God. So maybe he felt beholden. But is our obligation to our familial uh, ties or is our obligation to the kingdom of God? This is a very important subject for the body of Christ because when the devil cannot show up and bully you out of following Jesus, then he will use friends and family to try to guilt you out of following Jesus. When people are convicted by your presence in the room because you've taken a stand they haven't dared to take, they don't like it. They throw you out of houses. They shut you out of conversations. And all the time are convinced they're doing you a favor. They're just trying to help you. How could I know something like that, Matthew Pirro? Every real Christian lives through these things. We all do. And if you have an amazing family, say thank you God twice. Because most have lost families and God put you in it to be a testimony. He saved you, not out of some righteous, noble family line, but out of a lost family so that you could be the salt of the earth in it. He says, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. There is, however, some good in you. For you have rid the land of Asheropoles and have set your heart on seeking God. What do you think Jehoshaphat's response is to this? Oh, man. He sends out teachers in every direction to teach all Israel what is right. He begins seeking the Lord with all of his heart where his father got a nearly identical word and turned away from God and oppressed the man who gave it to him. Jehoshaphat has learned the generational mistake. 
And he said, I've risen to a height just like my daddy did, but I don't want to end up like he did. Oh, every father should want your family to surpass you. Every single one should want your family to learn from the mistakes you have made so that you do not repeat them. I'm going to tell you leaders, it's not necessary that you hide your flaws. It's not necessary that you hide your sin. In fact, when we think that we have to do those things so that people will respect us, the truth is it's not us they're respecting, but the image that we're projecting. When you begin to tell them how you struggle and yet God overcomes, that will be something they can respect. Because then you're a man just like them. And every young man is born with the feeling, am I good enough? Daddy, do I have what it takes? And if you lie to them their whole lives, they'll never know the truth that you were as weak as they are and in need of the power of God every day. Every little girl grows up wanting to be pretty. She wants to be desired. And if her mama is wrapped up in all of the world in its glory, she'll never be able to tell her the truth. Some days I don't feel like I've got it together. And I'm not sure I'm worthwhile. But your Father's love for me and the Almighty God's hand upon me is enough. And it puts a smile on my face. Friends, it's time to be real in the house of God because we're all under the same siege. We're all hearing the same lies. We're all under the same attack. And there is a solution. Jehoshaphat dug into the presence of God. He dug into the house of God. Where everyone else had slid away, he slid towards. Turn with me then to the 20th chapter. You have this decision before you. When there is trouble, you can run out and try to solve it all. You can run and try to tend to every little fox, every squealer that is squealing. Or you can decide to stand in the presence of God and be immovable. Jehoshaphat learned from watching his father vacillate and try to solve problems in his own strength. There was no salvation out there. When I have my next problem, I will hide in the presence of God. In the 20th chapter and first verse, after this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Minyanites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. That sounds like three on one. Some came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Engedi. Come on, what's that next word? Alarmed. Do you really think these people had ice flowing through their veins? Do you really think that they knew how the story would end before they entered it? When you find out that there was something that you didn't pay, and now the fines have grown to five times the original amount. When you find out that the bonus you thought you were getting was a misunderstanding, and it is not coming. When you find out that the promotion you thought you were about to get resulted in you actually being fired, not promoted. Of course we're alarmed. How could you not be alarmed? But it's what you do in the midst of that alarm that determines whether your life ends like Asa's or ends like Jehoshaphat. The Bible topical dictionaries say about Jehoshaphat, there was not an ounce of pride in the man and no real flaw can be found in him. He made mistakes, but he bounced back from them. What a model, friends. He is alarmed. Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord 
and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. He did what leaders do. He set an example himself personally, and then he invited others to join him in that. And together they began to seek God, alarmed but inquiring of the Lord. Next time somebody asks you how you're doing, don't lie to them and say, bless, look them in the eye and say, I'm alarmed, but I'm inquiring of God. Would you like to inquire with me? Because when we get a direction, it is going to be devil stomping time. As that one man of God that came here to speak said, the devils that have not defeated me fear me. It's time to make some fear you. It is time to fight back, church. We do not have to sit back and take it. The angels obey us when we pray. We can pray all day long, raise up the right man, but what we really need to pray for is breakthrough in the heavenly realms. Congress does not have the kind of power to make war you have in the pads of your knees. When you begin to understand that from the day you set your face to gain understanding in the heavens, like Daniel 10, messengers are dispatched, and it is not an email system, it is a clashing warfare system, then we inquire of God before we do any other thing. And we do it because that's where victory is. The disciples went out and Jesus prayed on the mountain for them all night. The battle was not won in the valley, it was won on the mountain. Just like Moses and Joshua went to fight the Amalekites. And it looked like the battle was being fought in the valley, but we can all see it had to do with Moses' hands on a mountain. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Don't spend time arguing with your relatives. Instead, take it to the devil in prayer. So what do you mean we go to the Lord in prayer? No, I'm talking about taking a foot to Him in prayer. I'm talking about finding out who you are in Christ and telling Him where He is going and what He should be doing. The living God will deliver you and He will hear the righteous man who calls upon Him. And you have been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. It is time to fight back. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. You know how Jehoshaphat was a good leader? You want to know what you're like as a leader? This is a great time, a great litmus test. Well, I'm a leader because I speak well. I'm a leader because I'm a business leader. Who's following you? If you look behind you and people are doing what you do, then you're a leader. If there is no one doing what you're doing, then you're a self-proclaimed leader. But you have not arrived yet, friends. We just heard about disciple making. I'm a disciple maker. Then there ought to be disciples following you. You want to be a disciple maker? What is the true test? Who is walking like you walk? And who looks at your passion and love and zeal for the Lord and says, I need that. Because you're all called to have it. There's not a person in here that shouldn't be a leader. We inquire of the Lord. We get a direction. We get a pace. We get a focus. And you know what? We'll pursue God along with those who are pursuing righteousness. I never told Brent what to do when he got here. I didn't even give him a hint what to do. And when he asked how he could help in the ministry, I said, do what comes natural. We'll figure it out. Is it any mistake that people follow him everywhere he goes? He's a leader. He can't help it. He can't not be a leader. Ice cream social is a pretty antiquated idea, Brent. I would not think that this would be the way 
to get everyone to come into your house. But I suspect it's not the ice cream they come for. I bet they're drawn to a man who is seeking God with all of his heart. I bet they're drawn to a family that doesn't care whether they're pregnant or how many kids they got or whatever. The work of the Lord comes first. I bet they're drawn to it like moths to a flame. Jehoshaphat was drawn to the presence of God, and so people were drawn to him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you, O our God. You did not drive out, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friends? Brothers, sisters, he's reminding everyone and himself out loud while he talks to the king what has already been done for them. Was it on the basis of their superior might that they were in the land they were in? Was it on the basis of their righteousness that they were in the land they were in? It was on the basis of a friendship with God. You're besieged. The strong bulls of Bashan, the prophecy said, are surrounding you. Oh, it's not your arm that will deliver you. It's not your perfection. It's your friendship with the living God. He goes on to recount all that stand against him, but that is not what has impressed me. Look at verse 11. See how they're repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Who gave them the land they stood on? Who gave you your testimony? Who filled you with the Holy Ghost? Who healed you? Who showed you the truth? So when people stand against it, who are they standing against? It's not even your testimony. It's the work of God in your life. So I stand before a pastor one day. And he tells me, Eric, God does not do that anymore. It's it's plain as day. Well, friend, then you have a problem with God because He did it and I couldn't. I'm not a ventriloquist. I did not knock myself down. I did not speak to myself. And I certainly didn't give myself power over sin for the first time in my life. Your problem's not with me. It's with God. And the fact that you claim to work for Him, I'm going to leave between you and Him. But that's where your problem lies. So now what do we do? Do we throw our hymnals at him? He'd been preaching twice as long as I had been alive at that time. He'd done a lot of good. What do you do? You take it to the ground. It's ground and pound time, friends. You begin to pray for revelation. You begin to hammer upon that which has been hammering on you. Say, devil, you don't like it when I tell these religious people the truth. I'm going to tell everyone that I see the truth. Two more tomorrow, and if you slap me again, it'll be five the next day. If you slap me again, it'll be ten the next day. And you go on the offensive. Who told you you had to sit on your salvation and take it on the chin? It's not true. I didn't know a thing about Jesus and was arrested the first weekend I was born again because I wanted to do something. So, well, that's not very wise. At least I was not home laying on my sofa fattening my salvation. God will bless the efforts. It will also pull you out of your depression. Guys, it is terrible to sit around and think about all the things we face. I hate it. I don't want to do it. I'd whole lot rather sit around, focus on Jesus, and watch him fall one by one. Is that okay? 
Look what Jehoshaphat does. For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. It's okay to be alarmed. It's okay to say, God, I have no idea what to do. My family's lost direction. My husband's lost his mind. My kids don't even seem to want to serve you. I don't know what to do. But it's not okay to run outside of the high ground. It's not okay to begin to make compromises and say, maybe the shrink can help us. Or maybe if I was a little more worldly, maybe if I took them to more movies, maybe if I spent more carnal time with them, it would fix it. Stand in the high ground of your inheritance. When you learn from Jehoshaphat to stand in the high ground, the Lord will fight your battles. Watch this. All the men of Judah with their wives and children, and what is that word? Little ones. Oh my goodness, stood there before the Lord. Jehoshaphat has laid it on the line. He is a leader, so people are following him. It's not just his life he's risking. It's not just the soldiers' lives he's risking. It's not just the adults. It's not just the children. It's the little ones. But in Jehoshaphat's mind, he was placing them in God's hands on the high ground. Now I'm a parent just like any other. When my son stops breathing and he's done it three times, turn blue. The first thing I think is what a terrible dad I am because I don't have health insurance. The next thing that I think is what kind of medicine might fix this. And then I cast those devilish thoughts down while I drive towards a medical facility and I call upon the name of Jesus and my son is still here. You are never wrong for making the Lord your refuge. And don't listen to anybody that says otherwise. They're influenced by the liar, even if they're good people. It is never wrong to fall at the mercy of the Lord. Never, never, never. You show me one man in the Word who falls upon the mercy of the Lord and comes up short. All of the worldly wise men around us can tell us that they have better ways to do it. And they can be convinced in their own right that they do. But I'm going to stand with Jehoshaphat in front of the place that bears the Lord's name. And I'm going to throw in my lot with God's reputation. Amen. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jazazel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jaleel, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, and to all you who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. How many times is that phrase in the Bible? It is over and over and over. You know what it is, friends? It's psychological warfare. Before you have even met the fate, we are fighting internally, believing that it's coming. And the anticipation of it is worse than the actual event because God is able to deliver you even at the last minute, but He cannot deliver you from you anticipating it. I do not believe for a moment that Jesus lived in the agony of the cross for 33 years. I think He lived in the joy of the Spirit. He lived in the moment that God had given Him and had an attitude that said, Your will be done. So that He faced the cross only one time, friends. Once and for all. How many times are you crucifying the promise of God because you're scared that He will not come through for you? And yet, you're still here. How many times have you not been able to make it? 
How many times is your marriage going to come apart? How many times are your finances going to... And you are still here. There has to be said something for the enduring Word of God in our lives. As Peter has said, we have the promises of God made more certain. How could they be more certain? They were true when they were said, but we've seen them proved out many times now. Irresponsible? Maybe. Full of faith and throwing in my lot with the Lord? Absolutely. And I got to believe that in the end it's a better way to live because I've watched plenty of responsible people's lives go to hell in a handbasket. Who do they call when the numbers don't add up? When all you have is your calculator and your pencil? What do you do when they have failed you? I serve a God that says, even if I was in the wrong battle at the wrong time because my heart is devoted, if I cry out to Him, He will save me. So I'm not scared to make a mistake, friends. Are you paralyzed over the thought that you might get it wrong? Do you think your God is that small? I want to live righteously. I want to live holy. But He's not standing over you waiting to smack you. He's not. He loves you. He wants you to inherit the good things that He's called you to inherit. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all you who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. I have to love that even heaven called it a vast army. (laughs) It's a vast army, but what difference does that make to God? For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow march down against them and they will be climbing up by the pass of Z's. And you will find them at the end of... You will not have to fight this battle. You take up your positions and stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Stand firm where? Stand firm in the presence of God. When people begin to complain about things in our lives, we can think that it's godly to want to placate them. Can we just make it more palatable to them? Can we just try to bend over backwards to help them see? Friends, why? When did Jesus ever do it? When did Jesus turn around and say, why aren't you following me? Would you please come back? It's worth it. Really, I'll give you help in this life in heaven and the next. When did he ever do it? When did the apostles do any such thing? Your life should lay out the bold truth. I stand in the fellowship of the Father. Did you ever hear how 2 John said it? They who went out from among us... We're not a part of us. But he wrote the letter because he said, we have fellowship with the Father, and we want you to have fellowship with us. By the way, did I tell you our fellowship's with the Father? It's pretty good over here. Your life should stand in the center of God's presence. And all those who have run from God's presence who hate you at first will eventually come running to you because they need what you have. If you run after them and participate in the things they participate in, not only is the battle now yours and not God's, there'll be nothing at the end of the day for them to admire. Friends, stand your ground. Stand your ground. Find yourself in the prayer closet. Find your identity in Christ on your knees. Find out who God's called you to be and refuse to flex. I don't know why the idea of becoming pliable Workable, easy is appealing to any Christian. Jesus was nothing like that. You show me one time in the scripture where he acted that way. He laid out the truth in ways that didn't even seem compassionate at times. And yet he's the prince of peace.
Stand your ground in the holy place. Listen to what happens next. Verse 18, Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground and all the people of Jerusalem and Judah fell down and worshiped before the Lord. Then some of the Levites and the Kohathites and the Korites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Have they fought the battle yet? Have they faced the army yet? But they're praising God for the victory before it's even happened. They're facing certain annihilation and they have their babies in their arms, but they have a certainty in their soul that Hebrews calls an anchor behind the curtain. Come on, friends, where is your hope? So you're besieged. So you're surrounded. And you think maybe that this might be the time God lets you go down. But when the sun rises, you might find your enemy scattered because he sent an angel on your behalf. And if he doesn't, it's still not worth leaving the high ground. Let's face it. What are you going to do? Threaten me with death? My daddy's in the kingdom right now. He doesn't have a problem in the world. He doesn't. He, he's not counting his carbs. He's not doing construction. He's not fixing automobiles. He's in the presence of God. You cannot lose. But if I die, let me die with the people of God in the house of God. Not on some fool's errand being a fool myself. In the 20th verse, early in the morning, they left the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood up and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. I love this. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him. Why? For the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army. They were not singing and praising him because he was giving them the battle. They were not singing and praising him because they were getting riches. They were not singing and praising him because they got the inheritance. They were praising him for the greatness of who he is. And so they got all of the above. Oh my goodness, what happens when we take our stand on the high ground, we look in the face of the devil and go, <laughs> I'm still not going to yield. I'm going to sing to Jesus for a while. You can listen if you want. The battle becomes yours before it's fought. Everything that are the spoils of war become yours before it's fought. You know why? The only thing that pleases your God is faith. And what better expression of faith is there than to look at people who are trying to harm you in praise in their presence. You know, it's a really interesting thing, Steve. Somebody can look at you on a boat, right, where they just speak colorful, beautiful language and say something as foul as could be. And you can look at them and say, well, praise God, brother. Can I give you a hug before you go? I, I assure you they won't know what to do. But in that moment, you've done a very brave thing. I am so completely uninterested and so unintimidated by what you've said that I've chosen not to acknowledge it and instead just praise God. You know, even silence is an answer. It's very fun. Piro does this all the time. When threatened, he just looks at him. I'm sorry, were you talking? I hadn't noticed. God waits for the whole army to march across the breadth of the earth, surround the camp of the people of God, and he rains down fire on them while laughing. Apparently, this is not that big a deal to our king. You know what is a big deal to him? You. 
You are the apple of his eye. Verse 22, as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Amnon and Moab and Mount Seir. When did the battle really turn, friends? When while still standing in the place that is high ground, they began to praise God. God set ambushes before they ever met the enemy. Let's be aware of the devil's schemes. He's trying to overwhelm you. He's trying to hurt you. But begin to worship God and praise Him for your deliverance. And He will win the battle before you even face the enemy. Oh, come on. Somebody say that's a good word. From Jehoshaphat, we learn to stand firm on the high ground without compromise. The battle is the Lord's. If you belong to the Lord, then they don't really face you. They face the Lord. Is this not the courage that David went to face Goliath with? You come against me with shield and buckler, but I come against you with the armies of God. Is this not the the bravery in which Gideon found? He didn't come against them with 30,000 or 3,000. He came with 300 and the Spirit of God. What do you go with? Go in the Spirit of God. Of God. Turn with me to 2 Kings while we're so close to it. In 2 Kings, the sixth chapter, giving you some history before we read the 13th voice, verse, we have the king of Aram again, and he's a little bit upset with Elijah. And he is because every time he moves his troops in a way that would harm Israel, Elijah goes and prophesies what the king has said in his bedroom to the army commanders of Israel. Come on. God knows what no one else knows. He does. I I loved what he said about Sennacherib. He said, I know where you stay. I promise I'm not making it up. You look it up. That's exactly what he said. I know where you stay. I thought that was a Louisiana expression. It's not. It's godly. I know where you stay. Then he prophesied to him, you'll be cut down in the temple of your God. God knows their number, friends. Vengeance never has to be yours. God has got their number. In fact, forgive them. It'll make them more guilty and you more free. Forgive them. The sixth chapter of 2 Kings, the king of Aram is upset with Elijah. So verse 13, go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he's in Dothan. Nothing good ever happened in Dothan, by the way, if you read about it, until this day. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by the night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? Do you notice these are men just like us? Now, anybody think Elijah's perfect? I love this, you know. Elijah, the prophet of fire. Twice as many miracles as Elijah. He was bald. Do you know that? Go up, thou bald man. He called down curses on kids for calling him bald. I've always had this thing. People say, well, if you talk such great faith about healing and salvation, all those things, you know, what's going on with your own this, that, or the other? Well, Elijah healed all kind of people. He raised the dead, and he was bald. Apparently, God uses imperfect people. I mean, he made a few perfect heads. The rest he covered up with hair. But, you know, what I'm trying to say is we've all struggled with something. And yet God works through that. 
He's not limited by your limitations. So maybe you didn't get your last conversation just right, and so now you think God is not in the mix with you. Well, what about our buddy Jehoshaphat? He's in the wrong battle. To be honest with you, he's in the wrong country, allied with the wrong people. But he was in love with the right God. Our God's merciful. Don't let the devil put you in a box that said, because you did this, now he can whoop on you, laugh at him, and spit back. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. That is so easy to say. In fact, I tell my kids that. And then I go in my room, fall on my knees and pray and ask God to reassure me because I'm as scared as they are. Elijah could see something nobody else could see, though. And Elijah prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. He didn't pray, Lord, send your armies. He didn't pray, Lord, send the right man. He didn't pray, Lord, help me in my unbelief. He prayed for his servants' eyeballs to be able to see what was already there. Oh, if you could open your eyes, church, what would you see? I have to tell you regularly, people come to us and say, I think I heard angels singing during the service. I'm like, I bet you did. The Word says they're here. I bet you did. I assure you it wasn't me singing. Every once in a while, somebody sees that or has a vision. Or... These are little glimpses that remind us of what is there all of the time. Oh, you know what we learned from Elijah. We learn that if we can open our eyes, we would see heaven is with us. It's not against us. From Jehoshaphat, we learn to stand in the holy place. From Elijah, we learn that heaven is already backing us. We just need to adjust our vision. Open his eyes so he may see. The Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire around Elijah, the man of God. If you be a man of God standing on a holy place, and friends, it's holy wherever God has told you to stand because you are there, then all the armies of heaven are backing you. This is why Jesus could confidently look at his apostles, then disciples, say, do not worry about what you will say, for words will be given you. This is why a man who was hired by the church to hand out bread could stand up to the entire religious assembly and they could not stand up to his wisdom or the spirit by which he spoke because heaven was with him. And what did he see right before he slipped into that kingdom? He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He was always in Jesus' watchful eye. The angels were always around him, but in that moment he could see what had always been true. Friends, heaven is waiting to support you. Can you dare to see what is true? I listened to Lester Summerall the other night on a recording talking about his friend, Smith Wigglesworth. Lester was in his 20s and Smith was in his 80s and he showed up at his door with a newspaper under his arm. Smith said, you can't come in here with that. He said, it's just a newspaper. He said, it's full of lies and this is a house of truth. I want to tell you, be careful what you let in your ears. Be careful what you dwell on.
There is God's truth and it will open your eyes and it is speaking a message tonight if you can hear it that heaven is with you. Heaven is with you. Michael didn't know what we were going to preach and he prophesied heaven is with you. Steve didn't know what we were going to preach and he prophesied heaven is with you. It might be that heaven is with you. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 20. Are you all tired? Deuteronomy 20 is one of my favorites. I worked out like a fiend as a child. And uh, because I was lost, it was mostly so that I would have dominance over other men. Uh, whether it was the field of athletics or just, maybe I just walked around with a giant insecurity in my life. I, I really don't know what all motivated. I don't care anymore. I'm a new creature and that guy's dead. But I know this. Guys have this thing. When people, well, girls do too, really. When ladies walk in the room, all the other ladies go, who does she think she is wearing that, right? Y'all assess each other immediately. Guys do too, but it's not about clothes and skirts and hair and nail lengths and all of those things. Guys just kind of know when people walk in the room, yeah, I'd be in trouble with that guy. Or, no, he'd never get my lunch money. They know it just kind of immediately. And I spent my whole life working out because it's just something that <laughs> Steve's going... <laughs> it's something that men just know. And so I wanted to get stronger. Nobody understands that, huh? The ladies are looking confused, like you guys are just weird, but the dudes know what I'm saying. Deuteronomy 20 is one of the more freeing things you'll ever see. When you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, do not be afraid of them, because the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt will be with you. It has never depended upon what you have. It depends on who is with you. It never depended on you when you are about to go into battle. When you are facing the worst of the worst of the worst. It doesn't matter what you have. It matters who is with you. When you're about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army. He shall say, hear, O Israel, today you're going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. We find out as we go through the next six verses that God would rather have you go home than dwell in fear and be faint-hearted. And if you love your vineyards, go home. And if you're worried about getting to spend more time with your family, go home. If you have any concern, go home. He doesn't need a certain number of people. He simply needs people that trust him more than they are scared. The truth that we learn from the Israel's cry to war is fear must be defeated before our circumstances can be. Friends, if you lay on your bed every night and you are terrified of what may be coming, you've lost before you've even faced it coming. Take your stand on the high ground. Begin to believe heaven is with you and put to death fear and discouragement. That might mean that there's some people that you just are looking at and you say, love you, sweetheart, but that's all we're going to talk about that. It's time to move on. You don't have anything good to say, and I don't need to hear any more lies, so we're just going to move on. I mean, I, I have some people in my life that have not said a good word to me in 20 years, so we speak occasionally, very briefly. I don't need to hear any more of that. The devil's pumping that stuff out all the time. Why I want to go subject myself to it. Sometimes, friends, we need to have just kind of a flushing. We need to know that we're standing in the holy place. We need to know heaven is with us, 
And we need to drive fear and discouragement out of our life. Do you know 10 times the book of Deuteronomy says, do not be afraid? 10 times. 10 times he says that. Do you think he's trying to get his point across? What are you scared of? What is it that's beating you up? Because as long as the devil smells blood in the water in that area, you will have trouble in your life in that area forever. He's trying to create fear and insecurity, and he always has. Turn with me to Psalm 91. We'll draw to a close here in a moment because it'll be time to apply what we've just learned. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Oh, friends, it's nice in the shadow of the Almighty. There's rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Sometimes we're worried about such a great many things. Martha, Martha. But Mary was in the shadow of the Almighty. Everything else fades in comparison to Him. Everything else becomes less important this is why when you're alarmed, you inquire of the Lord. This is why when you say, oh, my Lord, what about this vast army? You pray. This is why when you're besieged, you take it to the Lord. Any problem that you let get close to you is bigger than God. It is. I mean, you can take a penny. You get it close enough to your eye, it blocks out the whole sun. But if you get God closer to you than your problems are, they become little bitty in His shadows. What do the last few verses of Psalm 91 say? Something along the lines of, I will be with him in trouble and rescue him for he acknowledges my name. Something like that. God knew you were in trouble when he found you. He knew you'd be in trouble most of your life and he's determined to be in trouble with you. Yeah, there we go. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him, I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. The living God knew you would be in trouble because you were in trouble when he found you. Did he rescue Jehoshaphat? Was Jehoshaphat in the right place? Was Jehoshaphat with the right people? Was Jehoshaphat doing the right thing? But he still rescued Jehoshaphat. And he'll rescue you. You know what Jehoshaphat's name means? God is judge. Boy, there's something freeing about that, isn't there? David said in Psalm 27, my father and mother forsake me. But it's okay because God is judge. I know it's difficult to walk with the Lord. I know that. The apostles never said anything except that. In fact, to encourage the church, they said it's through many trials, toils, and tribulations that we enter the kingdom. That's what they said. Psalm 91, 15, he will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble and I will deliver and honor him. From Jehoshaphat, we learn to stand firm on the high ground. It becomes the Lord's battle. From Elijah, we learn to open our eyes. Heaven is with us in ways we have not yet seen. From Deuteronomy, Israel's war cry, we find out fear must be defeated before our circumstances can be. And from Psalm 91, he is with you in trouble. He's with you right there. So what reason do you have to despair? Corinthians, the first chapter, 27th verse, doesn't it say that God chose the weak things? Oh, 
God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. They think that they've surrounded you, that they're going to overcome you because you're weak. And he's just luring them in so that he can show his power through you. You know what Jennifer and I were told? We were told in 1994 that the best we would ever do was that we might should get a pickup truck, put a lawnmower in it, and cut rich people's grass, and maybe clean people's houses. Because we had limited our education. We had limited ourselves by our affiliations. We had limited ourselves in every way, and there was really no hope for us. You know where the man who said that is today? He's not preaching in a church. He might be doing some other thing, but he's not serving God like we are. I don't say that out of pride. I'm saying that because God chooses foolish things. He chooses weak things. And at that moment where it looks like you're going to be stomped out, that's the moment that God can really show his power through you and everybody will know it's not you and it's him. Don't be discouraged, church. Don't. There's a proverb. It's the 14th chapter, 19th verse. Evil men will bow down in the presence of the good. Is that true or not? Is the word of God true or not? There's a day coming when they will not just bow, as Romans 14 says to Jesus, but they will bow in your presence. They will. Romans 14, 11 says every knee will bow, every single one. But Proverbs says the evil will bow in the presence of the righteous, of the good. You need to know something. Your vindication is not now, and it doesn't need to be now. Now is the time when you show trust in the Lord. Now is the time when you believe heaven is with you even if you can't see it. Now is the time you stake out your holy ground and now is the time you fight off fear and discouragement because the day is coming when God will declare you king with him. The day is coming when every person that ever spoke a vile word will give an account for every word. This gives you a chance to give mercy to the people you love that don't understand you. It gives you a chance to say, oh, Please don't act like that. You don't know what you're saying. Isn't that what Stephen did? Isn't it what Jesus did? Let them throw their stones, friend. They can't really hurt you. They can't. You are absolutely unkillable until the day that God says you can go. But you can choose to live in fear. You can choose to live in anticipation. You can choose to be crucified many times over. Simply by not standing in the holy place, knowing heaven is with you, fighting off fear and discouragement, and knowing that God's with you in the midst of trouble. You're going to get bad reports. It happens. They'll come back and tell you that your body's not working right, but you're still here. They'll come back and tell you your way of life's going to fail, but you're still here, that all your friends and family are going to leave you, but you're still here. And you know who's with you? The living God. Let's stand to our feet.